Well, we are now launching our very first week of a new series. And we're here, of course, it's Mother's Day, and we're starting a new series called The Pursuit of Joy. Now, of course, we understand as Americans that we're about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the problem with the pursuit of happiness is the fact that happiness is based on circumstance. And happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is not something that's guaranteed us in the Word. It's not a promise from God. But joy, joy is something totally separate. Joy is something that is promised from God. Joy is something that gives us strength. Joy is something that shifts our life. Joy is something that ought to be coming out with us and be this constant in our lives that lets us skip over these circumstances that may try to rob our happiness. But joy is something we're going to have to pursue. We have to learn to go after it. You can't just sit around and go, wow, life has just been rough for me and I'm just not, I just don't have any joy in my life. It's all these things have just sucked the joy out of my life. No, it's something we have to purpose to pursue. And here on Mother's Day is the perfect time for us to look at what it takes to pursue joy because mamas know what it takes to pursue joy. They know what it takes. And we're going to be looking at this. In, the, in uh, God teaching us how to pursue joy, the word com- over and over repeatedly uses motherhood as an example of what it takes to step into all that God has provided us. And the first thing that we see when we look at, at mama's understanding what it takes to pursue joy is the, is the fact that they understand that the promise is worth the process. So many of us never get to the promise because we're not willing to go through the process. That we're not willing to go through it. And sometimes there are some things that are, aren't any fun, but the end result is awesome. You know, how many of us, we live in a day and age where, you know, we have all of the resources, all of the stuff to all of us be built like we really want to be built. And I'm not built like I want to be built. And why is it? Why am I not? Why am I all ripped and I don't have like six-pack abs? Why do I got that all jelly stuff on the top? Because I haven't been, the process to get there isn't a whole lot of fun. And you get excited about it for a little bit and then you, ah. But ultimately, with the things of God, it, the things of God are eternal. It's not something that's temporal or something that can be taken away like, like a physique or, or a checking account. It's something that is eternal. And with God, these eternal things, the promise really is worth the process. Let's look there in John 16, verses 21 through 22. It says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. And he's talking to his disciples before he was crucified. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. It's banging my cheek. So here they were having to go through a process. They were here in this time where they were hanging out with jesus but jesus was warning them there's going to be this time where it's just not going to be any fun but you're going to have to have the mentality of an expectant mother that yes there's going to be this time period that it isn't going to be any fun but the end result so so outweighs it here comes an end result right now there's little kai this is his first sunday in church mother's day that's right 
I went up to uh, visit them the next day after the little uh, little Kai was born. And, uh, of course, Monica had uh, been uh, laboring all night and had the, had the baby early. And uh, I finally come in there at the end of the day. And she's been wore out. But she's sitting there in that hospital. She just got the biggest smile on her face. And that little baby is laying right there on that in the little bassinet thing right beside her. And she was wore out. She had been put through it. She still didn't feel as good as she wanted to feel. But this joy could not be contained. It just was painted on her face. It wasn't, it wasn't forced. It wasn't, oh, oh, this ought to be a joyous thing. She didn't have to put the little mask up. I got my little fake smile on. No, it was truly there because it was so incredibly worth it. Now, we have five children, and so I've never, I've never had to do the, that part of the process. And, uh, but my wife is my hero because we had five kids and they're two years apart so she didn't go like a decade in between and kind of forget what it was all about and uh, she was very conscious of how painful it was to have to walk around like this and and everything that was entailed and going into the delivery but and she's not a person that likes pain I mean, she doesn't like pain at all. I've told you before, man, you accidentally hurt her. You better get out of the way because she just, whoo, she just goes blind and she just starts swinging and she's going she's gonna to hurt you. She does not like pain at all. But the joy of having that baby is so, so huge and it makes it all worth it. And so what was funny is that th- that kind of joy, I think, becomes addicting becomes something that's just so 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 wonderful because we i didn't catch the pattern at first i didn't catch it i didn't catch my wife at first but then i finally figured out what was happening here because we we talked early on and my wife says i i I held her to her word and she it was not fair (laughs) it's not true and uh but we talked early on about having five kids and we wanted to have five by the time we were 30 which when you get married at 20 years old you got to have them two years apart so we began the process of having kids. They were uh, coming along. And so we were ever two years, we were having this new little bundle of joy in the house. Well, Carson, our, our seven-year-old, he's it's all the way down. He's the, the caboose of that five. And anyways, he is uh, he, he is two years old, and all of a sudden, Cutie starts telling me, let's get a puppy. I sure want a puppy. Now I'd been a I didn't want a dog because we'd always had little little babies. But Carson was toddling around, you know, he was good. I was like, okay, now's a good time. We'll we'll go ahead and get this little dog. So we we got this little dog and we cruise along. Um, two years later, more, she goes, I think I want another puppy. And at that point, I figured out. It's like, you're a busted, woman. I know what you're doing. You're on this little town. You need that little joy of motherhood that comes along every once in a while. She goes, no, 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 it wasn't either. It's, we have a boy dog, and now we need a girl dog. So we went ahead and got the girl dog. And then sure enough, two years later, she wanted another stinking dog. I put my foot down. There's no dog. And uh, we still got just the, uh, still got the two dogs. But we started buying fish like crazy. And so you ever watch Uncle Buck, that old movie? He had his tobacco five-year plan, you know, and he's sitting there move, moving down the. Dish. I think that was it was moving down, and then to to little to uh, little little fish, and um, 
Anyways, but the joy, the, the promise is so worth the process. Now, we love to go to Six Flags. Not everybody loves amusement parks. That's not everybody's thing. What's funny is my wife really doesn't like the rides. There, she's, she doesn't ride very much. She'll ride like the little antique cars or something like that. And then she likes this little crazy spinny, crazy legs thing. But other than that, which that, I can't handle that ride. And, uh, but she doesn't like the roller coasters or any of that stuff. But our family, we go to Six Flags. Well, last summer we'd had our Six Flags season passes. And we went and my children have slowly been edging up into riding the roller coasters. My oldest ones were really chicken about it. Well, there's this awesome one in San Antonio that's called the Superman, and it is sweet. And you ride on top of it, and you're like, kind of like standing up top of a ride, and uh, it is really sweet and just smooth. Well, it is, uh, has some huge drops, and some multiple loops, all this stuff, and Brooklyn was just not going to ride it. So we rode it and rode it and kept telling her about it, and finally she saw how much joy it was bringing us, how much we enjoyed that ride, and she made up her mind that she was going to ride this ride. So we were like, okay. So we go and get in line. We're in line for the Superman. Of course, at Six Flags, the lines take a while. And every once in a while, we would see Brooklyn just go, oh, oh, oh. And we're like, sweetheart, are, are you okay? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Are you sure you want to ride this? Yes, I'm going to ride it. So we'd take it, you know, 10 more minutes later. And like, Baby girl, are you okay? Yes, I'm going to ride this. Finally, she gets up in there. She gets clicked in. And she's like, and she is just losing it. We, the ride starts at that point. It's point of no return. When it was over, she was like, yes, that is the best ride. Let's ride that again. And she said that she knew it was going to be worth it. But the anxiety, everything that she was having to face, her fears, her concerns, all of that in the process was so was so painful and she but she finally knew she knew that the end result was going to be worth it we have finally in the clark household and the moore household have have we all watched that because the moors were with us on that trip and uh they we call it having a superman experience if you know you're about to have to step into something that it just oh it's scary and, and you're freaking out, but you know it's going to be a good thing. Now we we said, you, you, you on the Superman? We're like, yeah, I'm on the Superman. And we know how to pray for each other. And uh, But the promise is so worth the process. And as we pursue joy, we have to keep that in our mind. Romans 8.18 says, consider, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy on the other side of the cross. And we, for us to step into, see, when, when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to carry your cross daily. That sounds like, oh, I'm going to have to pay the price. I'm going to have to do all this. No, you're going to have to be willing to do what it takes to get to the joy. You're going to have to be willing to go the, the route I went. Some of the stuff is not any fun. We having to deal with selfishness? I'll tell you what, that's no fun. 
How do you whoop yourself? When you're dealing with something, you're mad at yourself. How do you get away from yourself? You can't. That's why it takes the Holy Spirit to come in and to set us free to deal with the old man because we can't deal with it. And as we're going through that and maturing in Christ, there's these moments that so many times just aren't any fun. But the, the joy, the hope that is on the other side of that is so worth it. And if we're really going to pursue joy, we have to keep this in our minds that the, that the process is worth going through because of the promise. The other thing we have to remember and we see is that joy comes from bringing things to life, not getting things from life. Our consumer culture, we're so aware of it. It's everywhere. You can't run away from advertising. You can't run away from consumerism in America. And we are so tie our, our happiness with maybe the things that we have. But we understand that joy is not rooted there. It doesn't come from getting things from life. It comes from bringing things to life. And mothers so, so wonderfully understand that. There is this process of taking what God has gifted you with and nurturing it. See, that's what when mothers, you know, that isn't self-originated. A mother, when she carries that in her womb and when she brings that to birth and then nurtures it as a child, that is part of her, but it is also part of something that was given to her. And we have to understand that ultimately, as we're pursuing joy, we have to take the things that God has deposited in us. There is something God has put in us. And he takes some of who we are, because we're made in the image of God, and he puts us on that, which is why ministry is unique. You can't have copycat ministry. You can't do it. You're trying to put somebody else on what God has put on the inside of you. You can't do that. You have to take who you are, who God has made you to be, and then take what he has deposited in you and then bring that to life. And there is nothing more joyous and fulfilling than to do that, than to take what God has deposited on the inside of you, this thing that is directly from God, that then he has chosen to give it to you and mixes who you are in it and brings it to life. That is what, what real ministry is. That is why it is so wonderful and unique and why God doesn't want clones of one type of little person or minister going around. He wants a you mixed with him coming in there and bringing life everywhere you go. That is what, and that is what is so the root of true and real joy. Now, as I get older and see everything that, that uh, begin to have an appreciation for all the sacrifices that my parents made growing up. When you're a kid, you don't recognize it. You don't know it. It just goes on. You, you notice what you don't have. You don't notice what you do have. And, but as you get older, and the older I get, the more I recognize the sacrifices that my parents made and how much joy those sacrifices brought them. They were happy to do it. It wasn't done with a, it wasn't done embittered. It wasn't done grudgingly. It was done joyously. And whenever I was like 14 or 15, I was wanting to earn some money. And so had the lawn mower, and I was mowing some houses. And ended up mowing one, and my mom had to carry me to go mow it. And so as I was mowing, somebody stepped out of their house and asked my mom, hey, could I mow their grass too? So uh, a second job was lined up for me. 
So I went and mowed it. As it went, then my mom just started going and just knocking doors. And she just started knocking doors and lined me up like six or seven lawn mowing jobs right there on that block and spent a, like a 10-hour day sitting in our Suburban waiting for me. And so, and I made my first $100 in a day I ever made in my life. It was so exciting. I was wore out. I made 100 bucks in one day, man. I, was like my, I thought my pockets were loaded. And uh, I was too tired to do anything with it. But, man, I had some money. And uh, But then I, I didn't appreciate until later how my mom, it was so joyous for her to sit there and support that. Now, I know it's not any fun to sit in a vehicle for that many hours and wait on somebody to go from one little house to mow and mow and mow. And to do it, my mom didn't take a cut of the money. You know, she wouldn't say, okay, you know, I, I hooked this up for you, son. Give me my cut. I'm your agent here. No, it was just she loved to see me prosper. And that brought her more life. It wasn't about what she could get out of it. It was about what she was bringing into my life. And that's what, that's what made it. Now, we're celebrating Mother's Day because of a wonderful little Methodist lady who years and years ago decided she wanted to honor her mother. And she understood this principle that it was about more about bringing things to life than about getting things from life. Now, her, woman, her name is Anna Jarvis, and her mother completely inspired her. Her mother had started these women's clubs. These, she actually called them mother's clubs. And these mothers were there and played this pivotal, pivotal role after the Civil War where things were so tense and they would, they would go and they would minister on both sides of the Mason-Dixon line where there was still all of this animosity between the North and the South. And these mothers' clubs purposely, on purpose, said, we will not let allegiance between South and North come in the way. We are going to love people and we're going to be a force for unity. She also was a, <clears throat> her, Anna Jarvis's mother also was a woman who really hated poverty and especially poverty with children and she just spent her days in bringing and ministering to people and in and in trying to annihilate in her area poverty with children well two years after anna's impressive awesome serving mother passed away she wanted to do something to honor the contributions that mothers bring so she began to have her own little Mother's Day thing. It wasn't long, and she was petitioning President Wilson, and they finally became a national holiday in 1914. And it's been a national holiday ever since, a recognized holiday. And, but what's funny, because it was her desire to see the contributions, the benefits, what mothers were bringing into it. What's amazing is that Anna Jarvis spent the latter years of her life trying to get the U.S. to not recognize Mother's Day as a national holiday. She became the most vocal opponent to Mother's Day. Like, why? Does that make sense? Because she was nauseated at how commercialized it had become. She said, this is not supposed to be about little gifts and little things and mothers. This is supposed to be something that recognizes the value that mothers bring to our nation and to recognize those things, not to give little commercialized tokens to mothers. 
and she hated what it became. And then actually the point where she, she died in an insane asylum where she had pushed herself and it had driven her so, so bad that she, she passed an insane asylum over this issue. She spent every dime she had fighting for Mother's Day to not be a holiday anymore because it had taken on something else. It had become something about getting instead of something about the contributions and the giving that mothers already do. See, true joy comes. True joy comes from how we give. That's why Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not just some scripture that preachers use so you'll dig a little deeper in your wallet. It is the truth. And mothers understand it. That's why mothers love to give. They love to do for their children. They love to do it. Because ultimately when it's all said and done, they're the ones whose hearts are just so full. And that's ultimately the only way we're really going to have true joy in our lives is when we understand, as we pursue joy, that it's about bringing things to life, not about getting things out of life. See, 3 John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. To leave a legacy to bring something to life, to have this that was, that was deposited in me, and now I've deposited it in my children, and they're walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than that at all. I love it when my kids challenge me to pray more, when my kids challenge me to, to be more loving. My, <clears throat> we heard about the, the recent flood, floods in Nashville. And I was just going through my day and heard it on the radio. And man, I'm telling you, Lulu was like, Dad, why are we not praying for these people? Woo! Um, baby, you lead us. I am so sorry. You are right. We need to be praying for these flood victims. I mean, it was just told something that's happening on the, in our country. And man, I tell you what, she prayed an awesome prayer for those flood victims. Then uh, it was so fulfilling to see the passion that they have when we bring things to life instead of trying to get something out of life that's when life really really comes and then we see that uh in luke 1 58 here's the story about uh jesus's mother mary and that her neighbors and relatives heard that the lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy now this is obviously about what she's bringing to life and not about what she's getting out of it because I'm telling you, Mary, it was where she was still at this point, where she was pregnant in this story, that she hadn't gotten diddly squat out of this. She had, had, to, she had, had been betrothed to a good man, an awesome man. Joseph, who even when he found out and he thought that his little, his little uh, fiancé had been running around on him, he wasn't even going to make a public spectacle out of her. He was just going to deal with it privately and let her go. So they are going to be having this huge, wonderful Jewish ceremony. Something that young ladies think about all their lives to have this wonderful wedding. And finally, when the angel steps in and tells Joseph to take her as his wife, he immediately, he immediately marries her. She doesn't get the big wedding. This, this child that she is carrying takes that. She doesn't get, she, that's taken from her. She doesn't get the big wedding. She's the talk of her village and talk of town. Who on earth is believing that this really is some sort of immaculate conception, that this really is God that did this? 
Nobody's believing that. Nobody's taking that truth. Everybody thinks her husband's a fool for staying with her. All, everything this has begun, this, her saying yes to this immediately began to pull things out of her life. But yet here it was. Here it was that her relatives are sharing in her joy. Mary, whether it was divine from God or just her wonderful innate character, understood that this was so much more wonderful than what she was bringing to life was so much more wonderful than anything that was being taken from her. And then the last thing that we understand is that pursuing <clears throat> true joy is not for cowards because it takes a willingness to trust. Now, to trust is tough. Trust is tough. You talk about doing something courageous, truly ch trusting somebody, man, that takes real, real courage. When you understand what's on the line and you're able to trust and mothers are able to do this so well. We have two beautiful examples of this out of the Word. The first one is <clears throat> that we're going to look at is there's Hannah out of 1 Samuel 1.11. Now she had been barren and she had not been able to have a child. And then we catch up with her here in verse 11 it says and she made a vow saying O lord almighty if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son then i will give him to the lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head now this is one thing to say lord give me a son and i'm gonna teach him to love you no, she says, I'm going to give him to the Lord. She took it so seriously that when the boy was weaned, which in our day and age is probably going to be before they're two years old, but at that day and age it was probably going to be more four or five years old. And so and he's this little boy. She, she has been able to care for him and love him. And she comes, and in response to God's gift to her, she brings him to this guy that's got two morons for boys. Read the word. He did. Eli was, a, was not a good father. But she is trusting, trusting God and brings her little boy to him. And we see that Samuel ends up being the first true prophet of Israel and helps bring the kingship of, uh, of David into existence. She was in... in Incredible, trusting mother. Then in Exodus 2, we see the story of Jochebed, which is Moses' mother. Now, M Moses was born at a time where, there, where the Israelite boys, the Israelite babies, especially the boys, were supposed to be annihilated. They weren't supposed to make it past birth. They were supposed to be killed as soon as they showed up. And she is able to keep him alive, but she knows that she can't hide him forever. And so she does this incredibly courageous, awesome thing. And she weaves a basket, puts all the stuff in there, puts her baby boy in there, and then sticks him in the reeds. Now you watch the little Prince of Egypt thing and you see this wonderful scene where the basket's all bouncing and like hippos are like kicking it around and ships are doing it and it makes all and finally makes it to the pharaohs uh, you read the context of the deal. she sticks it in the reeds and then her daughter 
hides over to see what happens. It's in the river, but she did not just go, Woo, Lord, I hope you take care of my son as he floats down the Nile. May something good transpire here. No, she stuck it right there, right near where the Pharaoh's daughter bathes. And as Pharaoh's handmaidens come, and they're checking out, because they're walking along and checking out the reeds. They don't need any assassins coming up. They don't need any kind of craziness. They're checking out where she's going to bathe. And there they come across little Moses in his basket, wedged up there in the reeds. And it looks like he's just drifted in. But no, he was strategically placed there. And his mama made sure she was courageous. She trusted that. And then we read there in 1 through 4. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it in tar and pitch and then placed the child in it, among the, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. The Bible is full of courageous mothers who got the promise as they were courageous and they were willing to trust. We, also, we see Mary. We've already mentioned her with her being willing to trust God and there bring Jesus into life. We see her cousin Elizabeth who did the same thing with, with her son <clears throat> John the Baptist. We see Tamar. Tamar is there out of out of the Old Testament. And man, you talk about a crazy story. This woman ends up having to, to take these articles from her father-in-law because he, she disguises herself as a prostitute. He hires her because he's not done right by her. She's kind of backdooring him here. She, he gets her pregnant and then he wants, finds out and he's going to kill her and the baby. And then she proves and has these, these things that show that he's the daddy and ends up bringing this child to life. And she does these crazy things to protect this boy. And he ends up being in the lineage not only of King David, but of Jesus himself. We see that um, Zariah. Now, Zariah, for a long time, I thought Zariah, you'd read Joab, son of Zariah. You would read about uh, his brother Asahel and Abishai sons of Zariah. Zariah sounds like a cool like warrior name, like a guy name. Zariah. I am Zariah. These are my sons, sons of Zariah. They're great warriors like me. Yeah, the problem was is that Zariah wore a skirt. It was their mama. Over and over again, you see son of, and it's always referring to the daddy. But with Joab and Abishai and Azahel, we don't know who daddy is. They don't say who daddy is. But we know who mama is. And they are the, David's top warriors. This woman was, had this lay of, of raising these courageous men. And then we see Re- Rebecca and Bathsheba and the Syrophoenician woman, who is this woman who's a Gentile and finds out that Jesus is a healer and has her daughter that needs to be healed. And man, this woman puts up with all sorts of stuff. And Jesus says stuff that makes us go, what, Jesus? He calls her a dog. Jesus? Are you serious? You call her a dog? You can't do that. You're going to get sued. You better have good insurance, Jesus. Somebody's going to drag you in. 
And he does. He tells her. He says, should I give the children's bread to the dogs? And this mama who needed healing for her child that wasn't part of the house of Israel says, you know what? But even the little dogs get some of the crumbs that fall off of the master's table. She knew that daddy was so big and so good that if you just got a crumb of what he was offering, that it was enough. She understood his table was that big and that bountiful. And she didn't take the insult. She's like, I may be a dog, but you just give me whatever. I need my daughter healed. And her daughter got healed. Her daughter got healed. Not because she was of the household of Abraham, because, and you have to understand it, Jesus wasn't just being a jerk there. Jesus was never a jerk. And... Um, you have to understand it, but he had come to the children of Israel, and she was not part of that. And it expanded after his death. But we see these awesome mothers who would, had this don't take no. And it's wonderful. Then we uh, understand that this willingness to trust opens us up to the joy that only comes from God. This willingness to trust opens us up to the joy that only comes from God. As we're going to pursue true joy, we're going to have to be willing to trust God. And as we close out here, I've got something that I want us to do together. I don't normally have us declare something together, but I wanted to close out this one with Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with, the, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we are pursuing joy, I want this to just be our confession every day as we're going through this. If you're already doing a confession, add this in there. And I've already lined it out and personified it. So I'd appreciate it if we would just all read this next part together as we've personified this. Read this with me. Say, the God of hope fills me with all joy and peace as I trust in him so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have joy and it comes from the inside of, and then it begins to overflow and begins to impact other things I challenge you to keep this to cut it out to put it in your wallet to tape it to your mirror and begin to declare this over your life especially as we're going through this pursuing joy thing because God wants to fill us up with joy and have it overflow and impact other people's lives well this morning as we're winding up we need to be aware that we really can't have true joy if we are not hooked up with the one who is the author of all joy, who gives all joy. And we want to give you an opportunity this morning that if, <clears throat> if you're here and you're disconnected from God, if you are needing to eat, 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 you are needing to